It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This is Access Atlanta. Your weekly look at what's fun, entertaining, and educational in and around Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. As the new year gets going, some local theater productions have been pushed back, including Intimate Apparel at Actors Express and Vanity Fair at Georgia Ensemble Theater. If you have plans to attend any event or performance in January, it's a good idea to check online for the latest info. And the AJC will continue to bring you news of cancellations and postponements, so check AJC.com and AccessAtlanta.com too. We're now in the final days of the Atlanta Botanical Gardens annual Garden Nights Holiday Lights event, and since it's outdoors, it's one of the safer ways to have a night out. It's pretty spectacular as well. Prices range from $21.95 to $59.95, and the lights will shine daily through January 15th from 5 until 10 p.m. Get all the details at atlantabg.org. Check the calendar and go guide or go to accessatlanta.com for more info. Stay tuned for more events later in the podcast, and after the featured conversation, we'll take a look at what the AJC is bringing you this week, both online and in print. But first, we'll revisit our conversation with Gregory Harris, the High Museum of Art's Curator of Photography, who spoke to Felicia Feaster about picturing the South in the fall of 2021. The show is now in its final weeks and closes on February 6th. This week, we'll take a look at a new exhibition at the High Museum of Art, Picturing the South 25 Years. In 1996, the High began commissioning photographers from across the world to engage with and explore the American South's rich social and geographic landscape for its Picturing the South initiative. Now the High is marking the 25th anniversary of Picturing the South with a major exhibition that brings together all of those commissions for the first time. Visual arts contributor Felicia Feaster spoke with the museum's curator of photography, Gregory Harris, and she's here to bring us that conversation. Welcome, Felicia. Hi, thanks for having me. This sounds like a very interesting project. It is. You know, those of us who live in the South, who live in Atlanta, I don't think we necessarily reflect on this really unique place that we're in. You know, it has a troubled history, but it also has a lot of fascinating culture, fascinating people. And picturing the South is really an opportunity to do a little navel gazing and think about what the South means. It's such a sort of magical 
interesting place compared to the rest of the country. It has such a presence and personality. And, and to see all of these photographers, both some, you know, based in the South, in Atlanta, in Athens, Georgia, but also from places like Brooklyn and San Francisco and how they look at the South differently and also commonalities between their vision of the South. It's really fascinating. Yeah, and and I mean, the South is uh, such a quick changing place, it seems in some places and probably in others, it's not, uh, you know, it, it's slow to change. So it, it's an interesting uh, contrast, I guess, uh, the way that some things change, some things don't. I think that's so true. I mean, you look at some of the work by Alex Webb, and he's really showing this sort of rapid progress, this downtown uh, area of Atlanta and the the concrete surfaces of Atlanta that kind of dwarf the people um, standing, you know, around going about their business. They seem lost in these urban spaces. And then you look at someone like Jim Goldberg, who's documenting the residents, black, white, old, young, of of Arkansas and in real with real tenderness and intimacy and capturing the nuances between people it's just really fascinating the way it shows as you say that contrast between the big uh urban spaces and these very small town um more familiar i guess to people who've grown up over time in the south and have seen you know that that change in the landscape Right. Well, it sounds like a very fascinating project, and, and I'm sure it's a great thing to see. And, and you spoke with Gregory Harris, who is probably intimately involved with the exhibition, right? Right. I have the feeling he's been doing a lot of lectures, a lot of tours of the exhibition. And you know, it's a really, of course, proud moment for the high because they started commissioning these photographs, as you said, in 1996. And it's really it's started um, certain photographers like Sally Mann in a new direction in their careers. And it's really uh, given the High Museum, you know, about, I think it's 300 new photographs for their collection. It's helped them bolster their photography collection, which is already pretty impressive. And it's just, I don't want to give the impression that Picturing the South is a love letter to the South strictly because it's not. It really deals in some of the the history of this region. And it, it talks about, you know, how tainted the landscape is for Black Americans because of the history of slavery and oppression. It talks about the disregard for the environment, how pollution and petrochemical industries and paper mills have really deformed the landscape in powerful and horrible ways. So it's it's a rounded and, and full and rich look at what this region is. Awesome. Well, is there anything else we need to know before we uh, go into this conversation with Gregory Harris? Well, I think, you know, f for people who live here, one of the things that makes this place so interesting are the people, obviously. And it's so fascinating. Not only is this about the South, it's about how different photographers look at the South and look at something like portraiture. For instance, Jim Goldberg and his images of, of people in Arkansas, as I said, they're very tender and respectful, I think is a word Greg Harris use, uses um, to describe them. 
And then you look at someone like Martin Parr, who's um, a British photographer who takes a very Tom Wolfe man in full look at the people of the South. It's a a little bit uh, cartoonish, a little carnivalesque, still true, still interesting, but it's just fascinating to see those two different photographers treating um, portraiture in, in very different ways. Well, thanks so much for bringing us this conversation, Felicia. Thank you. So great to speak about this show. And let's hear from Gregory Harris, the curator of photography at the High Museum of Art in Atlanta. I'm Felicia Feaster. I'm here with Greg Harris. He's the High Museum of Art's curator of photography. Um, And we're here to talk about Picturing the South. It's a project that was inaugurated in 1996 when Sally Mann, the photographer, moved from her really well-known portraits of her own children into landscape photography. Mann and Alex Webb and Daywood Bay were the first commissioned photographers in the series. I guess, uh, Greg, can you explain the purpose of Picturing the South, why that project was was inaugurated in the first place, what its mission was? Sure, so back in 1996, the High put together an exhibition that was called Picturing the South. And that show surveyed the history of photography in the region from um, the, the earliest days of the medium, you know, up until the, to the present at the time, the mid 1990s. And the curator, Ellen Florov, wanted to make sure that that show was as current as possible. So she commissioned Sally Mann, Dawood Bay, and Alex Webb to make new work in the months leading up to that exhibition that then debuted in that that show. Um, And those commissions were were so successful. The work that they produced was, you know, kind of opened up these new directions for the artists. They stumbled on some really exciting directions in their work. And because it was so successful, two years later, Ellen commissioned Richard Mizrak to make to make a new project. And so that kind of got the momentum going. The, the commissions took on the name Picturing the South because they'd come out of that, that exhibition. And it's just been kind of going, going along ever, ever since. We've commissioned 16 artists so far. And so this current iteration that's up at the High Museum through February is called Picturing the South 25 Years. So it's a 25 year history featuring those 16 artists that you mentioned from that first commission of uh, photographs in 96. And it goes all the way through to recent work by Anmi Lay and Sheila Pre Bright and Jim Goldberg. So they're all debuting new work for this particular exhibition. And I think there are a lot of really interesting juxtapositions of old work and new work in this show, including Sally Mann, who's seen next to Sheila, Sheila Pre Bright, who's an Atlanta-based photographer. Can you talk about why you wanted to place those photographers? One is white and one is black, but they both really deal with landscape next to each other. Sure. So as we were thinking about how to lay out the exhibition, what was the kind of the structure of the show? It was a bit of a challenge because all of the photographers made discrete bodies of work. They were created completely independently of one another. You know, there wasn't an assignment that they got that they're all kind of working around. They were given all kinds of creative latitude to do whatever they wanted. So then when we're figuring out how to structure the show rather than organize it chronologically, which maybe seemed a little bit arbitrary in terms of how the work related to one another, we tried to find 
uh, resonances between the work, whether that was the subject matter that they were looking at, kind of the general bigger thematic idea that they were approaching, or even the way that they made pictures, but just so that it felt like there was some kind of connection and dialogue between the work. And in that very first gallery that you're referring to, which has Sally Mann and Sheila Prebright, so we have one of the first commissions, one of the most recent commissions. They're both uh, Southern women looking at the Southern landscape. And as you noted, Sally is white, Sheila's black. And so they're coming at the landscape from a very different um, perspective in terms of their, their racial background, but they're also both um, at a very fundamental level, trying to grapple with, with a similar idea. They're looking at how the history of, of race, the legacies of slavery, the struggles for racial justice that have taken place in the South, how they have left of marks on the land. Like what is, what is the evidence of those histories, those events, those legacies, um, and how can you see it in the land? In the case of Sally's work, um, it's almost like the, the Southern landscape is haunted by that, by that past. The pictures are very atmospheric, kind of ethereal. Um, and Sheila's work is really precise in the way that she's making the pictures, but very poetic and evocative um, in the way that she's looking at the landscape of Stone Mountain and the, the park around Stone Mountain. But in terms of how that history is you know, seen on that landscape, it's quite literally etched into the side of that, that mountain. So those, those marks are very visible, very literal. And she's playing with that tension between the, the natural beauty of the Stone Mountain Park and that very dark, fraught, hateful history um, of that place, which is really you know, embodied in the, the Confederate monument that's still there. Yeah, it's, it's a really great juxtaposition. I think that part of the pleasure of this uh, iteration of picturing the South, this kind of retrospective of picturing the South is kind of appraising this place that we live with new eyes. On a personal note, you grew up in Massachusetts and you received undergraduate and graduate degrees in Chicago. You've now been in the South for some time. Do you recall when you first came to Atlanta, anything as especially striking in terms of difference between the places you had lived and this new South that you were occupying? Certainly, yeah. I mean, there were, yeah, there were a lot, a lot of differences between um, Western Massachusetts and, and in Chicago. And for one thing, just the, the, the landscape is so different. You know, Chicago, you know, the Midwest is very flat, but the city is, it's a, you know, huge city of skyscrapers. So they, they invented the skyscraper in Chicago and it proliferates. It's just a, it's a big, dense, tall, sprawling city. And where I grew up in Western Massachusetts, you know, there's lots of rolling hills, old mills, you know, but it's, you know, very, kind of not very densely populated. And then coming to Atlanta, the, the infrastructure of the city is so, is so different. Like, you know, there's, there's density in certain parts, but then it kind of sprawls on the, the roads kind of, you know, wind around in Chicago, every street meets at a right angle. And it's very, very straight for the entire length of the street. But here things kind of meander, it feels like it kind of happened more organically. Um, of course, the weather, the climate is so different. You know, everyone was like, oh, you must love not being around winter. It's like, uh, not sure I deal too well with the heat that here. So you just kind of like, you, you feel how different it is. But also the, you know, the, the culture, I mean, Chicago's a really friendly place. Massachusetts is friendly, but there's a, like a real warmth in the people here that is markedly different and people are so welcoming and friendly and I think I think a lot of that is you know it's a kind of a cliche of the south and yet it's so true <laughs> as well I mean there's a, there's a reason why my people talk about southerners in the way that they do they're very warm and welcoming and that was you know a, a, a very 
noticeable difference from, you know, my experience, you know, living in, in New England and the Midwest. That's so interesting. So the high is really pretty renowned for its photography collection. Why do you think photography and the South are such an ideal pairing? Yes. Well, so much of the history of American photography comes from the South. You know, a lot of these major moments dating back to the Civil War it was the first the first, um, you know, the first war that was actually photographed, and so all, all those pictures were made, were made here in the South. Um, if you move forward in history, you think about this this amazing moment in the 1930s during the Great Depression when the federal government commissioned photographers to document um, the economic devastation that had happened because of the Depression. Um, and they commissioned people like Walker Evans, Dorothea Lang, Ben Sean, Arthur Rothstein, you know, some of the icons of early 20th century modernist photography. And they made some of their most important work in the South. Think about Let Us Now Praise Famous Men, the famous book that Walker Evans collaborated on with James Agee. It was all shot in Hale County, Alabama. And then, of course, the, the civil rights movement. You know, this, you know, photography was instrumental in bringing out, bringing about the changes um, in of public opinion, but also, you know, in laws that, you know, that protected, you know, the rights of African-Americans in this country. And it was photography that showed the, you know, the, the rest of the country, the world really, what was, what was going on and made that, that case. So there are these major moments throughout the history of photography that are going to, that are pivotal to how American photography has evolved. Um, you know, how we, you know, how we document conflict, how we um, show, kind of like, you know, uh, like an American vernacular through pictures. And then um, how you do you put people in a moment and you use photography for a political purpose to create social change? All that happened here. And so you can't really tell the, Ameri the history of American photography without focusing on the South. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's really, it's, it's such a pivotal place and yet it's often left out of many of the you know, the bigger narratives of American photography. So much of it is that story is focused on New York or the Bay Area in California, the Institute of Design in Chicago. Um, you know, these kind of artistic centers that, um, you know, so many makers have come out of and there's a, there, there, there are these affiliations of groups, there are schools um, that kind of anchor the, you know, the, the evolution of photography. And in the South, it's, it's so much more diffuse. You know, there isn't necessarily one big center of, you know, the artistic community or the art world here in the South. It's kind of, it's, you know, much more, much more spread out. There's certainly pockets and concentrations where artists are based, but you know, the, the region as a whole is kind of, uh, it's, it's hard to kind of wrap your head around, like, what what is it in this in this one way like what's the thing that's happening in photography in the south it's so many different things that it's a harder story to tell and so i think that it's often been either glossed over or left out entirely so one of the things we try to do with the photography collection at the high is really focus on on the importance of the the region um, and really emphasize you know, that that story through our collection that is such a great point, and I'd never really thought about that. But yes, I don't think Atlanta or the South are thought of as this center of photographic storytelling in the way you've really um, described. It's it's a pity. So one of the pieces that, and I'm glad you're doing what you're doing to get the word out. 
you. One of the pieces that really struck me in the show, there's a lot of really powerful imagery, but there's an image of a solitary man. He's wearing an olive green jumpsuit and he's kind of cradling a cat in a really loving way in his arms. And in the background, there's a vast forest and mountaintops that can be seen from the hillside where he stands. And there's a semi-truck with its drawers flung open and stairs leading inside. It was just such an arresting image. Um, it's such a strange blend of quirkiness and sadness in that one image. And I wondered if you could talk about the context of that image, you know, who, who took the photo and what they were trying to convey. So that's a photograph by Alex Soth, who's a photographer who lives in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, and Alec has become really well known for his pictures of, you know, ordinary Americans often in out of the way, out of the way places. He did this amazing book called Sleeping by the Mississippi, where he traveled the length of the Mississippi from Minnesota down to um, down to Louisiana, making pictures along the way. Um, and he's someone who's you know, been really identified with Southern photography, and yet he is not a Southerner. He's made a lot of amazing pictures here, but he's not a Southerner. So the, um, that picture that you referred to is from a commission that he started in around 2006, 2007. Um, and it was it, at the time it was called um, Black Line of Woods. And what he was looking at were um, loners, people who had withdrawn from mainstream society. These were um, survivalists, hermits, monks, um, people who were kind of on the run from one thing or another. But you know, for many different reasons, they had decided to, you know, uh, live a life that was separate from, you know, from the from the larger from a larger community. And Alec was interested in the kind of the, the romance of escape, of you know, of kind of checking out from the the hustle bustle the grind of you know of, of kind of you know so-called normal life so he was able to find people throughout the south who were living in you know in these ways kind of getting by in their own way living off the off the grid um and you know he was that it's interesting how that how that project has aged over the over the years it's about 10 years old he actually expanded it photographed all around the country and renamed it Broken Manual, but looking at this idea of escape in, in America. And now looking back on the, you know, the present moment that that romance is kind of tinged with a lot more um, darkness in a lot of ways. I mean, you think about kind of the, these anti-establishment political views that are wound, bound up in, um, you know, in this lifestyle and the, kind of the, the reasons why some of these people have withdrawn. That, you know, looking back now and seeing how the, kind of the country has fractured along a lot of political and cultural lines, you can kind of see the seeds of that, you know, a decade earlier in, in, those, in those pictures. Um, you know, and actually one of the inspirations for him to make that work was Eric Rudolph, who was the, the bomber of the 1996 Atlanta Olympics. He read a story about how he had evaded um, capture by the by the federal authorities for for a number of years and then went found that place where he was eventually captured um so you're just kind of thinking about that like how escape takes all of these these different forms but really trying to dig into you know the the complexity some of the the messiness of why people choose to live in a certain way and kind of go against go against the grain and sometimes that has some pretty dark expressions and i think that's sort of the power of any art, but especially it seems true of photography that the context, the time when it was made can 
impact how it's received, but as it as it change as the times change, our impression of the image can change a lot too. So I think what you say is is really interesting. I was really struck in in his work by how the landscape, which is treated so much in in the photographs in this exhibition, but how the landscape is just like this devouring force. It's really kind of consuming these mostly men, maybe exclusively men who are kind of alone in this um, landscape. And I think it's kind of an interesting phenomenon in picturing the South that you, as you said, Alex Soth is not from the South. There are a number of photographers represented in picturing the South who are not Southern, but then there are people like Sheila Prebright and Sally Mann and Mark Steinmetz who are from the South. Do you think, I know that the project has evolved over time, but do you think at some point the curators realized, the various photo curators realized that they needed to have those two points of view, the insider and the outsider? For sure. I, I think one of the things, and, and I know just from the position that I'm in, the, I think I'm the, the sixth photography curator that the high has had, but seeing, you know, who the, who the, who my predecessors have commissioned and what was going on, you know, in in the photo world and the art world at the time, what was happening at the high, what you can kind of see is like reflection of, of kind of curatorial and institutional priorities in the way that those selections were made. So I think at the time when Mark Steinmetz, Alex Harris, Debbie Fleming Caffrey, all Southerners were, were commissioned, there was this, like the, the conversations I think that my predecessor Brett Abbott was having with other members of the photo community because you know, Picture in the South is one of these signature initiatives when it comes up all the time in conversation. We're like, who's next? What are you doing next? Um, when can I get a commission? And people have, a lot of people have, have opinions about it and they're not shy about sharing them. And I think Brett was hearing from a lot of people, you know, there are not enough Southern voices in, in this series. And so he very intentionally picked three Southern photographers to kind of bring maybe more of an, you know, an insider's perspective such as it is um into the into the conversation but i think it's you know it's interesting to bring people in from outside you you know they they see they see the people and the place in a way that it's not familiar to them necessarily and so things that you see every day you might take for granted kind of stand out in a different way and you can see them from a from a new perspective and kind of make a picture that someone else might just kind of uh, walk by. I mean, I think one of the best examples of that is uh, Martin Parr, who's the only non-American to receive the commission. He's um, he's British. Um, and he photographed Atlanta in this way that's kind of humorous, but also critical. Um, you know, it's really this kind of biting critique of um, kind of social structures and various rituals and entertainment and consumer culture in Atlanta. Um, and I think you know, you see is like, I've like, I've been there. I've done that. Like you know, I've eaten that corn dog, you know, and the way that he photographs are like, oh, wow, that's, I never, I never saw it that way. So I think having that outsider's perspective is really valuable, but also having, you know, a, an insider's perspective is also important because there's a diff, there's, you know, a, a deeper knowledge that comes along with how they're making the pictures, a different kind of information, a different kind of connection to, to the place and the people. So it's, it's, I think it's important to kind of balance, um, balance those different kind of perspectives. Yeah, I, I felt a lot of recognition, maybe it's self-recognition in Martin Parr's images that one of the Starlight Drive invasion, I was like, I've 
I don't know those two men in that photo, but I really do know them. So it was interesting to see the juxtaposition, talking about juxtapositions of Martin Parr's work, which is portraiture, a lot of it, and then Jim Goldberg's work, which is also portraiture. But as you say, Martin Parr is so much more cynical and cutting, and Jim Goldberg has almost, I wouldn't call it a romantic view, but a much more sensitive and thoughtful kind of vision of the people of the South. It was just really fascinating to see those two um, together. Yeah, and they're they're they they they're, they know each other. They're they're both members of a photo cooperative called Magnum. They're 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 colleagues. Um, but yeah, they they have dramatically different ways of making pictures. Yeah, Jim, Jim's work is. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Romantic is not quite the right word, but there's definitely a compassion and a tenderness in the way that he's making the pictures, like a real respect for the, the you know the the dignity of the people that he's photographing. Yeah, I think respect is the perfect word for what's going on with his his portraits. Let's take a short break and look at more events in and around Atlanta. Christian rock band Skillet is back with Dominion, a new album that ups the ante on the louder aspects of their music in songs such as Beyond Incredible, Surviving the Game, and the title track. They all mix thick guitars, aggressive beats, and grimy industrialish tones sweetened with big melodic choruses. And Skillet will be bringing those songs and many more to Atlanta's State Farm Arena on January 16th as part of the Winter Jam Tour, one of the biggest gatherings of Christian music acts of the year. Tickets to the show are just $10. To find out more about Skillet and Winter Jam, check out our interview with the band's frontman, John Cooper, on accessatlanta.com. Imagine a cross between Willy Wonka's chocolate factory and a traveling circus. Well, that's Candytopia. After two years away, the candy-themed interactive art exhibition returned to Atlanta in 2021, bigger and better than ever before. Located in Buckhead, next door to the grocery store popularly known as Disco Kroger, Candytopia takes visitors through the looking glass into a fantasy world of sweets and treats. The attraction is now open Fridays through Sundays. Find out more and get all the details on accessatlanta.com. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, an air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Let's continue our conversation with Gregory Harris of the High Museum. So I know you're a big fan of documentary photography. I know you're a fan of Mark Steinmetz. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about this project that any Atlantan will recognize. He's done a really interesting project about Hartsfield-Jackson Atlanta International Airport. And he really has these, they're, all the images are in black and white. They're kind of stark. Um, there's a lot of empty space in the images. And they're this really strange collision to me of these massive airplanes, these miraculous machines, and this lush, overgrown, almost primeval looking landscape surrounding the airport. So can you talk about, you know, what you find so appealing about that particular project? Yeah, I, I love the work that Mark did for the for the commission. Um, he's, he's a really incredible, sensitive photographer. 
um, who you know, works in a mode that we probably most easily, but maybe a little bit, you know, uncomfortably call street photography. He he goes out into the world with a small handheld camera. He observes, he responds, he makes pictures. He's kind of, you know, not announcing himself, not always necessarily talking to the people. He's kind of a, you know, a, a, a quiet, passive observer of what's going on in the world, looking at for these moments of, you know, theater or drama, but just like how everyday life unfolds, you know, in the, you know, this, you know, the stage of, you know, the city streets, in this case, you know, the, <laughs> the, the drop-off area at the airport, the waiting areas as you're, you know, waiting to get on a plane. But as you said, it's this place that's so familiar to, to many of us here in Atlanta. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's one stop on a, you know, a longer destination trying to just get from one place. It's a, tra you know, a transi transitory transitional place. And I think Mark was, was, was really drawn to these kinds of interior quiet moments that people have there so these kind of and, he, and, and also in the, the, the contrast that you find there you know the, the airport is huge it's sprawling it's this massive modern complex and yet you pull back a little bit and it's surrounded by trees there's a neighborhood that he photographed in where I, I don't know too much about this neighborhood but it looks like you know streets were laid down but homes were maybe never built um, so it, and it's overgrown with kudzu and trees and it, you know, it looks like this post-apocalyptic jungle scene. And then there's a plane that shoots right out of the middle of it. It's like, it's, you know, right in the middle of the, you know, the, the, the bustle of the, of the airport. So he, he, he shows us this familiar place in a way that I think many of us have never occurred to, to look at it never stopped to really take it, um, to take it all in. Um, and that, you know, he, the, he prints the pictures are all black and white, but he prints them in these very, very delicate gray tones. They're not for the most part, very harsh contrasty images. They're very you know, quiet, contemplative, um, and, you know, with a lot of shades of gray. So he's really, you know, attuned to creating a mood um, with those pictures through the, through the printing. Yeah. And I like what you say that it's so interesting the way he shoots the planes. They're like almost like these jungle cats, you know, glimpsed yeah. through the landscape, through the forest, um, these strange creatures overhead. It's really interesting. Well, I know curators do not like to play favorites, so I won't ask you to do that. But I am curious if you think there's an image in Picturing the South that really captures, you know, a vision of place that resonates with you, something that that says a lot in one image about this place we call the South. It's a real, it's really tricky to try to sum up, you know, one, the, the, the whole show, let alone the entire region in a, in a, <laughs> in a single image, particularly, you know, with, with, you know, all 16 of these artists who have such distinctive, such distinctive visions. Um, I think Maybe uh, I think I you know lean toward uh, a picture that's in Jim Goldberg's commission, and you know I I worked really closely with Jim, and I think he he just did an incredible job with this work, and I love what he what he made um, for us. Um, so maybe I'm I'm picking it because it's it's fresh, and I, you know I have a lot of I have a lot of affection for it. But there's a, there's an image of these two sisters standing in the middle of a a residential street. In, in Arkansas, and you can kind of see the, the houses in the background, you can see some trees, some grass, and you know, these well-kept lawns, and the two of them are kind of back-to-back, -back, but they, they lean their heads together, and so their heads are just touching in the picture, and it's a kind of strange, unusual moment, um, it kind of leaves you scratching your head, you don't know what's going on, why are they doing that, it just kind of poses all of these kind of 
questions. Um, but there's, you know, a tenderness and affection that's expressed between the, between the two of them. And I don't know, I just, I see, I see something in that there's, you know, there's this strangeness and familiarity um, and, you know, kind of love that you see in that picture. And I think that kind of the South at its best kind of encompasses all of, all of those, all of those things. Yeah, Jim Goldberg is really good in this project about capturing those moments of like quiet intimacy and that pass, I imagine, fairly quickly between people. But it is something that's special about the South. It's not unique to the South, but there is a lot of, of uh, comfort in family and friends and a lot of affection. Um, so it, I think that's a good illustration. And as I said, there's a lot of portraiture in picturing the South, but I really found Daywood Bay's portraits meaningful because, you know, he's done a whole body of portraits, but these were photographs he took of high school students in Atlanta for his commission. Can you talk a little bit about why these image, uh, images of black students resonate when you look at them next to the larger history of representation of black Americans? So one of the ideas that, that Dawood has been working with you know, since the 1970s is you know, how are how are black Americans depicted in popular media, popular culture, film, in the history of photography, and how does that image that we have of, of black Americans not necessarily live up to kind of the full reality of them as as people? How can we? Sh how he, he's really interested in how you, how he can show the complexity of the people that he's that he's photographing, and so for this. This series that he he what we have in the show is kind of a small slice of a much larger body of work that he was pursuing for close to ten years. Um, he was photographing with a, a very large format Polaroid camera, so that each frame is twenty by twenty four inches, and then he's pieced them together in groups of four or six. Sometimes it's a portrait of a single individual, sometimes it's two people together. But he kind of gets in close with the camera, photographs a portion of them moves the camera, photographs another portion of them. So time passes between each of these exposures and then the alignment is a little bit off. Maybe the expression on their face is a little different in one picture than the next, but then he pieces them together um, so they kind of form a whole image. It almost, it, it always looks like a, a cubist painting where it's kind of fractured and broken up and then pieced back together. But in that way of depicting his subjects, he's implying that there's that there's so much more depth, there's so much more complexity that one single image could never fully encompass, um, you know, the entirety of a, of a person's character. And particularly with you know with, with young people, he was photographing high school students. Um, you know, it's a group that's even further misunderstood and often misrepresented um, in in images. So he's trying to really lend you know, an opportunity for that that depth, that complexity to come through in the photographs. Well, I could talk to you all day about this show, Greg. It's pretty epic, over 250 photos in the exhibition. Is that right? That's true. Yeah, it's, it's quite a large show. So lots and lots to talk about, lots to see. People should carve out some serious time to, to get into it, um, to spend some time with the work. But thank you so much for talking with us about it. Is there anything that you feel like no one's asked you yet. You're dying to get off your chest about this exhibition. <laughs> oh, I can't, I, I can't think of anything specific, but I, you know, I just, 
I really appreciate your, you know, your interest in the show, and I hope people have a chance to to spend some time with it. It's it's something that is um, distinct to the high. No other no other museum in the country that I know of commissions artists in this way, in this kind of sustained, ongoing way. So it's it's really it's something that, as a museum, we're really proud of, um, and that, you know that we can support these artists, lend them a platform to make new work and share it with an audience. Um, and you know, I, I hope that it's something that other museums pick up on because it's it's transformative for the artists. And um, I think when when museums and artists get together and really you know collaborate in this way, pretty incredible things happen. And you know, I hope that that more of that happens. Yeah, I agree. It's nice as an Atlantan to have this opportunity to do a little bit of navel gazing on top of the navel gazing that all of these photographers are doing. Really think about what it means to live in this place in this time. So, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I just I just came from a, a tour with a, a group of donors, and we had some of the artists here. They were talking about it. they were sharing their experiences. And kind of unprompted, every single one of the artists said that th this opportunity, you know, allowed them to do something they never would have done before, which is you know, as a, as a curator, you know, as someone who's, you know, a supporter of the arts, like, that's what you want to hear. <laughs> like, that's, that's the kind of reaction that you want that, you know, you opened up a door for me and, you know, that my work is changed and is better, you know, because of, because of that, that support and that opportunity that, um, that you gave me, you know, it's, it's incredibly gratifying to hear that from an artist. I imagine. So thanks again to Greg Harris for taking the time to speak with us about picturing the South. I know you're super busy, so it means a lot to me that you could sit down and do this. Thank you. <laughs> it's good to talk with you. This has been Felicia Feaster for the AJC. The AJC brings you the best of what's happening in and around Atlanta on accessatlanta.com. Here's a taste of what you'll find there. A new exhibit at the William Bremen Jewish Heritage Museum celebrates the museum's 25th anniversary of documenting Jewish life in the South. It's called History with Chutzpah, Remarkable Stories of the Southern Jewish Adventure, 1733 to the Present. The show opened in fall of 2021, but for a limited number of days each week due to the ongoing pandemic. Currently, it's open at 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Sundays and by appointment noon to 4 p.m. Wednesdays through Fridays. Co-curator and founding executive director Jane Levy said sometimes such exhibits tend to emphasize the heroic and gloss over the unflattering or negative detail, but she wanted this retelling to include all aspects. Check out Bo Emerson's look at this fascinating exhibit on accessatlanta.com. While cars and trucks were passed on Georgia 520, the sleepy town of Parrot, located between Columbus and Albany in southwest Georgia, retains the patina of an early 20th century community. Parrot has a population of around 150, according to the 2010 census, and it is surrounded by farmland, most of it devoted to growing peanuts. In its past, Parrot was one of the many cotton-is-king boom towns. That went bust long ago, but the region's economy has always centered on agriculture. Nevertheless, Parrot has a rich cultural history for a small rural town. Find out more about Parrot and its citizens and see Eric Dusenberry's beautiful photographs of this link to Georgia's rural past on AJC.com. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to accessatlanta.com and AJC.com. The podcast is edited by Tyson Ahorn. The theme music is by Bo Emerson and Billy Guin. And I'm your host and the AJC's arts and entertainment editor, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta. Mm -hmm.
ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.